Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 8, Thursday night, and Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in a couple of areas. Now, we're going to be also in Romans 12, but if you're at Romans 8, you're only a couple pages away. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible. And I keep saying should be because you keep stealing them. Um, And we're replacing them all the time. We love that. There must be Bibles all over L.A., All right, so when I was in Liberia, we used to give Bibles to the rebel soldiers. And I thought it was like the best ministry of the world, and I gave these Bibles to all these rebel soldiers. And then one time, um, one of the rebel soldiers offered me a joint. And I noticed, <laughs> and I noticed that it was Psalms 23, right? <laughs> So we stopped giving Bibles to the rebels. We just thought we did not want to aid and abed their little struggle. And I don't know if they held the word as dearly as we did. And so when I noticed that I unraveled, I'm like, this is actually Psalm 23. Like you, you want to read this. You don't want to smoke this. Uh, They didn't teach me that in seminary. I didn't know not to pass out Bibles. I just thought that's what you do. And um, there's no class in seminary how to minister to a child soldier. It's just not part of the deal. I don't have any idea why I told you that story. Um, Hebrews 8, I'm in a mood tonight. I don't know what it is. I think Melchizedek has got to my brain. Amen? I mean, how many of you are ready for another Melchizedek message, right? Okay, it's like... Amen. What amazes me is that more and more people keep coming to Thursday night. And I'm teaching Melchizedek. It's not like I'm teaching Revelation. God bless you guys. You are like, you really hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give yourself a hand clap. Good job. All right. Hebrews 8, Romans 8, Romans chapter 12. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm just so thankful for your spirit. Because your spirit is freedom and joy. And Lord, I pray that this church would be known for our joy. And I ask God, with as miserable as our world and our day may have been, that when people come in this place and they stop to worship you, that the misery of their day would be lifted straight to the throne room and the joy of the Lord would fill our hearts. To God be the glory. And Lord, help us understand Melchizedek. You're so creative in how you presented your truth. And I'm thankful that you didn't do it like most theologians and just give us a list of what we should believe. You gave us stories and narratives and poems so that we'd know you because you knew how to speak to us. I love you for that. In Jesus' name. 
The pinnacle verse of Hebrews we read last week. I asked you to consider underlining it in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The writer has done an incredible job of proving his case that Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than crystals that you wear around your neck. He's better than the gold cross that you hold on to. He is better than, here we go, Moses. Can you believe it? He was telling this to a first century Jew. This would be saying that, uh, 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 no, I won't use that as an example. Jesus is better than the mighty Joshua. Jesus, he's even better than the ministry of the Levitical line of Aaron. Now this is important. Because he's writing to a group of Christians that were drifting. He's writing to a group of Christians that were departing from the faith. And the word of God had pierced their heart as Jesus is trying to get their attention through the writer of the book of Hebrews. And now they're wondering, the first century Jew, where do we go to get back with God? We've got to remember, Christianity is only about 30 years old at this point. So the writer, he's beckoning the believers to get to Jesus. The writer is beckoning the believers to hold on despite the pressures of life that were facing them. The fact of the matter is, and I don't know if you would agree with this, the fact of the matter is, it's easier to give way to temptation than it is to stand for Jesus. It's easier. Um, Jesus agrees with me. It's Matthew chapter 7, take a look. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's the easy path. And there are many who go in by it. Because, here's why many go the easy route, narrow is the way and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Parents, don't raise your hands, but how many of you blew it with your kids this week? Don't raise your hand. Spouses, how many of you lost it if he does it one more time? Don't raise your hands. How many of you, I had to drive to Orange County this morning. When I started, hallelujah. (laughs) Tony, what are you thinking? I had to drive to Orange County this morning, and when I started, it said 35 minutes. When I got to the 710, or the bridge going over of the 710, it went to 52 minutes. When I was getting onto the 405, it said an hour, nine minutes. It took me an hour and a half. 
I was so filled with anxiety and stress by the time that I got to my appointment. And I was expected to be all pastoral when I got there. That I sat in my car for just a couple of extra minutes and said, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus did say, make a joyful noise. So that's what happens with me. My wife's the singer. I'm the listener. Jesus knows it's difficult. And knowing the difficulty, he not only told us how to live. Unlike the law, he gave us the power of the spirit to help us. That's why I could sit in my car and say, Jesus, take the wheel. It's the humility of recognizing, I can't do this, but I know you can through me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You see, the writer is not only urging those that had gone astray to return to Christ. He's he's urging them to get to the throne of grace because the writer is confident that they will receive mercy. We studied that in Hebrews 4. The normal procedure of the time when you violated one of the laws was you'd go to the high priest. You'd offer your lamb. Your sins would be covered over. This is what the Jews knew. And now the word that he's spoken of in Hebrews 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, it's pierced their heart because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides straight down between the bone and the marrow all the way to the spirit. That's what the word of God does. And now pierced with the word of God, they're wondering, should we go to the high priest? And the writer declares, no. Get to the great high priest. Run to Jesus. He's making it very clear. His ministry is more excellent. We can go to him to receive mercy, grace, and compassion when we've gone astray. Because our high priest is from the order of Melchizedek. Now there's three things I want us to remember in regards to the order of Melchizedek. In order to qualify to be of the order of the Melchizedek, the qualification of this ministry was that you had to be anointed by God himself. It wasn't by inheritance. You had to be anointed by God himself. And in Psalm 110, verse 4, the Bible says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. He ain't changing his mind. Speaking of the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We saw that last week in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, coming all the way from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110, verse 4. See, Psalm 110, it's a Messianic Psalm. And Psalm 110 was written 600 years after the giving of the law. Because God was making it clear that the Messiah would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God was making clear that there needed to be a new priesthood because he knew that Christ would fulfill every law He would then pay the price of our sin and then he would provide a new way to be in relationship with God. 
Just go up a couple of verses to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandments. Hebrews 7, verse 18. Because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we look carefully, draw near to God. No Jew could go near God. Only the high priest could go near to God in the holy of holies. But he announces that because Jesus is anointed by God of the order of Melchizedek, we can now have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Wow. That means when you leave here and you feel like talking to God, all you have to do is say, dear Jesus, boom, in the throne room. What an amazing privilege that you can connect with God. And I wonder if you take that privilege seriously or do we take it for granted? You see, in order to come from the order and the line of Melchizedek, you had to be anointed by God. But secondly, listen carefully. In order to go in the order of Melchizedek, the qualification of this order was you couldn't tell people what to do without giving them the power to do it. That was the law. The Bible says in Hebrews, there in verse 7, verse 18, the law was weak and unprofitable. It had no power. It only told you the way, but it didn't give you the power to do what God was asking you to do. But Jesus, oh, Jesus of the order of Melchizedek, he died and he rose again. And when he rose again, he fulfilled his promise and he sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Church, because Jesus is the line of Melchizedek, the power of the resurrection is within us. I don't know if you've tapped into that power. All you have to do is ask. But thirdly, if you're of the order of Melchizedek, there is a qualification that no man can fulfill. You see, the order of Melchizedek, the, the qualification to be of this order was that you had to be eternal. Do you remember when we studied Melchizedek? He had no recorded mother, no recorded father or genealogy. He represented eternity. And no man could live up to this because they would die. Well, all was weak. And then they would pass the priesthood by inheritance. But Jesus, the God-man, he died, but he rose again. The Bible says he became the author of eternal salvation because now Jesus is, not now, but Jesus is eternal. Take a look as you skip down just to a few verses in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 28. Before we engage in Hebrews chapter 8, look, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. In other words, they died. But the word of the oath, in other words, the qualification in order to be the, of the order of Melchizedek, God has to approve you. You don't get it by inheritance, which came after the law 600 years, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. You see, 
The law appoints as high priests men who were weak. In other words, they die. Last week I mentioned, should we never forget Aaron and the golden calf? Men are weak. Do you remember he comes down the mountain? Moses goes, what's going on? Aaron goes, I have no idea. Threw some gold in the pot and the calf came out. Look at the people. The worship band. Come on, Aaron. Men are weak. But Jesus... He's been perfected forever because Jesus is the God-man. He lived the perfect life. He died and rose again to make us perfect, to make us be able to be right with God forever once we receive him. Truly, the writer has proved that Jesus has a much more excellent ministry as the high priest that they could run to. Because besides his qualifications, I need us to be reminded of his resume. Take a look, Hebrews chapter 8, as now we dig into chapter 8. Take a look at his resume, okay? Jesus is about to give you his resume. Take a look. Now, this is the main point of the things that we're saying. We have such a high priest. Look at his resume. Who is seated. Stop there. The work's done. There were no seats in the temple. The only seat that was there was the mercy seat, and the only person that could sit on it was Jesus, and it was empty because he had not died and rose again. Now he sits because the work is done, but take a look where he sits, a part of his resume, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Mic drop. (laughs) On Jesus' resume, it says, reference, God Almighty. If you want to know who I am, I'm sitting right by God. Ask him. What a powerful reference. How many of you ever put God Almighty on your reference when you're trying to get a job? (laughs) Seriously. I want you to, when you go get a job, I want you to put reference, God Almighty. I mean, think about this. Jesus is making it very clear. I sit at the right hand of the Father. That's a lot of clout. He doesn't have to go to Mary to get to God because he's sitting right there and all he has to do is say, Chet needs help. Could you help him with a little bit of power? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me talk about Mary for just a minute. We've got to be careful as Protestant believers because Roman Catholics esteem Mary higher in a position than what she is. But Protestants tend to de-steam her when she was the most blessed among women because she held the Son of God in her womb. And so when I say you don't have to go to Mary... It's a truth of the word because Jesus is sitting by the right hand of God. And Mary is still at the foot of that throne worshiping her God. But take a look at his resume. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true 
tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. Therefore, it's necessary that this one who has something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since they are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern, it means it comes from an original, shown you on the mountain. Listen, this is Jesus's resume. He's the OG. He's the original. He's the original trendsetter. If you follow Jesus on Instagram, you'd be wearing his clothes, walking like him and wearing his sunglasses. He's the original trendsetter. Amen. Do you know what the writer says a little bit later? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. But I need to say something about Jesus and Instagram. He would not be doing some of the foolish things that some of these kids are doing, and it's costing their lives. And students, I'm not a naysay on social media, but be careful who you follow. Because because someone does something dumb and it makes them famous doesn't mean that you should as well go to that place, hang over the cliff, because you might fall off. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sorry, little commercial note. Did you hear what's on his on his resume? His position, his power, his prominence, his pedigree, they're supernatural. Of course he's obtained a more excellent ministry. But take a look at what else Hebrew tells us, verse 6. But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry. Check, we learn that. Inasmuch, here we go, he's also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better Promises. Now, I know covenant is a word that's maybe a little bit strange to us. And we might go Old Testament, New Testament, and Old Covenant, and New Covenant. But I need us to understand what is a covenant. Could we un- to grasp that it's a sacred kinship between two or more parties that is ratified, solidified by an oath. Now, let me tell you how it usually happened. In this day, they would cut an animal in half. Straight down the center. Sorry if you had tacos earlier. Stay with me. They would cut an animal in half. And one person would stand in the bloody mess of one side of the animals, of the animal, and the other person would stand in the bloody mess of the other animal. And they would say, I'm giving you this property, and if, you, if I go back on my word, I want to be like this animal. Dead. It's a powerful thing to say. And we go into a courtroom and put our hands on a Bible and say, I solemnly swear, and then lie from here to Timbuktu because we don't care what will happen to us because if we commit perjury, we'll just go to jail. No one's going to take an animal and show that we said that we're going to die if we're going to do it and give us the electric chair. It's just not going to happen if we're perjury. So we don't understand the idea of a covenant in the way that they understood a covenant and an oath because if you made a covenant and you broke the covenant, it would cost you your life. It's powerful. It's powerful. 
So now what he does is talks to us about this new covenant. You see, he knows the Jewish mind at this time. And they're struggling that he's making a theology out of one little verse in Psalms. Psalm 110, verse 4. So what the writer does is he pulls out the ace in his back pocket. And he says, I know you're struggling with this whole idea of Melchizedek. But even Jeremiah, the prophet, told us about a new covenant. He pulls out the ace card, the prophet Jeremiah. Take a look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. 900 years after the law, God introduced by Jeremiah, 900 years after the law, he introduced by the prophet Jeremiah, 900 years after Moses, there would be a new law. And it would be known as the law of the Spirit. Now take a look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them. Now, if I were you, I would circle that word them. It's very important because he's talking about the law, but yet he points to people. He says, look again, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them. We need to understand something about the law. Take a look. It's Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I wouldn't have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. You remember Noah's day? They were murdering everyone. They had no conscience. It was, it was like, yeah, we'll kill them and kill them and kill them. I mean, it was just no law. They were stealing from here and stealing from there. And God looks on the earth and goes, I regret this. Then after Noah, Moses comes along the scene and God regulates man. He regulates man with the law. You see, the law showed me what sin is. Paul says we wouldn't have known sin except through the law. Remember we studied last week, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, you'll see it. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. He's telling us the law showed us you need a savior, you can't do this. You need a savior. You messed up again. You need a savior. You need someone to do this for you. You need someone to do for this for you. And then when Christ came, we didn't need the law anymore because he died for our sins. You see, the law is not the problem. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, look what Paul says. Therefore, the law is holy. It's good. And the commandment holy and just and good. In other words, if there was a way to get to God, because God requires perfection, if there was a way to get to God, the law was the way to get to God. So what's the problem or what's the fault of the law? I ask you to circle the word. Verse 8, finding fault with them. The fault or the problem of the law was humanity. It does not say it, referring to the law. It says them. They drifted. They departed. 
they hardened their hearts in rebellion. He says, going on in verse 8, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I delivered them from slavery because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them. They drifted. They were the problem. God had delivered them from bondage and showed them a way. This is how you can honor me. And they chose to worship a calf. Only a few days coming out of Egypt. What? Because they thought the law was too hard. We can't get up there, Moses. You going up. (laughs) You die. We're not going to die. What did he say? The Ten Commandments? And he goes back up and then he comes back down and what happened? A golden calf? Only a couple of weeks coming outside of being freed from Egypt? They were the problem, not the law. And in Romans chapter 7 verse 14, Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual. It's a, it's a way to get to God. But the problem is I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. Now, I don't want us to be too hard on them because Jesus knew that we could do the same thing. Do you remember the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? He gave five, two, and one talent. And he comes back and the guy that had five produced five more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And then the guy that produced two produced two more. But the guy who had one, oh, oh, oh. Then he said he would receive the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. You're rough. Reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there. Have what's yours. Let me explain. This guy goes, I know you're rough. I know your way is difficult. I know it's narrow. I I know you're hard. And I know what you're asking me to do is going to be rough. So what I did was, I just took what you gave me, I hid it, I did nothing with it, and I'm giving it back to you. I'm, I'm giving it back to you. True. I'm giving it back. You know what Jesus says of this man? pretty rough. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because if we don't desire to obey God, it declares we actually don't have a relationship with him. That's why John said if if we continue in sin, we've never seen him or known him. And in John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus communicates, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. The way you can be in relationship with me, you prove that relationship with your obedience. You don't come into relationship by obedience. No, you show that you're in relationship by your obedience. So church... The first century Hebrew Christians doesn't need to be our story. We don't need to depart. We don't need to drift. 
we can hold on and be close to Jesus because under the old covenant, I need to let you know something. God didn't promise the Holy Spirit. Under the old covenant, the old agreement, there was no forgiveness of sin. You got your sin covered over until Jesus died. There was no access into the presence of God. You were completely separated from God. But in the new covenant, we can ask for the power of the Spirit. We can be forgiven of sin. We can even go into the throne room whenever we say, dear Jesus, and receive mercy. We can have abundant life and we can have eternal life because he's our great high priest. We're under the new covenant. And what he does now in Hebrews is he pulls out from Jeremiah 900 years after the law, 400 years before Christ, to express what the new covenant is. Take a look, if you would. Hebrews chapter 8, now verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look again. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. The promise is for the spiritual house of Israel. Now look back at verse 8, if you would. Would you just go back up to verse 8? I want you to catch something. We've got to see every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. But go back with me to verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, no mention of Judah, after those days. That's a very important point. Because Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. First there was Saul, then there was David, then there was Solomon, and then there was his big dummy son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam decided, I'm only going to listen to the young people. I'm not going to listen to the elders around me. I believe we're living in the days of Rehoboam in, uh, in the 21st century. Have you ever watched Cartoon Network? Parents are dumb, kids are smart. That's the theology of Cartoon Network. And your kids sit there and go, hee, 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 look at the dumb dad. Look at the, why do you think they don't listen to you when you're 16? They've been preached it from Cartoon Network. Let all the parents say amen. amen. And oftentimes, with our children and our grandchildren, we turn on Disney, we turn on Cartoon Network to babysit our kids while a doctrine is being preached to them. Parents will bring their teenagers to me, please fix him. Please, whatever you do, fix him. Can you fix him in an hour? We have a dinner to go to tonight, and I need him to not be rebellious. I get it all the time. My first question is, did they watch Cartoon Network? How much Disney did you pump down him? Because I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a worldly doctrine that parents are dumb and kids are smart. We're living in the days of Rehoboam and it caused nothing but division. 
And when Rehoboam listened to the younger generation, Judah was formed and Israel. So you had two tribes and you had 10 tribes and they were separated for hundreds of years. But now in the new covenant, they are unified. It's just the house of Israel. And we are part of that unified kingdom. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3. Therefore, know that only those who are faith are sons of Abraham. We're part of the Jews. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. You'll be part of the spiritual Israel. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We're part of this. We get to be part of the new covenant because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I need to let you know something, church. We've not replaced the physical nation of Israel. All the promises for Israel are the promises for Israel. We've been spiritually grafted in. When God made a promise to Abraham, he said that the promise was forever. And when God uses the word forever, it means forever for the nation of Israel. As Gentiles, we've simply been grafted in and we get to be part of the better promises of the new covenant. And there's three that I want you to see. Maybe you'll write them down. Take a look at the first one found there in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws and their minds and write them on their hearts. First, if you're taking note, we get to live in the new covenant by the law of the Spirit. You see, the law was given on tablets of stone and was directed by Moses. The law of the Spirit is not external, it's internal in our hearts and minds. Can you imagine if the law was today? I guarantee there would be a law on one of the Ten Commandments that said, thou shalt only do social media for 30 minutes a day. (laughs) Can you imagine in our 21st century world if there was a law for every aspect of life for us to live? We don't live by the law. We live by the rule or the reign or the law of the Spirit in our hearts. Let me explain God has given us his spirit. We know that to be true in Romans chapter 8. We learn from the Apostle Paul, we've been given a spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. We've been given the spirit of God to be in a familial relationship with God. And it happened when we were born again. When we received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we were given a new nature and we were given a new spirit. The old had passed away and the new had come. Take a look, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, new spirit, new nature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's in our hearts. Let me explain what that means. The Jew in the old covenant said, you better not do that. You have to obey, little Shimon. 
Oy vey. But now the Spirit's in our hearts. Now the Spirit's within us. And we don't have to obey. We get to. We want to. Jesus gave his life for us and no one has to tell us you better obey. Because we've been given a new spirit, we want to. You gave your life for me and I want to give my life for you. But not only in our hearts, not only the want, he's in our minds. You see, God does not speak to Moses who then speaks to us. God speaks directly to our minds and then he empowers us to live a spiritual life. You ever been watching a show? You ever been watching a show and, uh uh-oh, they're kissing. Uh Uh-oh, they're going in the bedroom. Uh Uh-oh. And the Spirit's going, turn it off. Turn it off. There's no one there with you. There's no one telling you what to do. But inside of you, you hear, turn it off. Don't watch this. Have you ever been so mad? You're about to say that. And the Spirit goes, "Mm -mm, don't do it. And all of a sudden, you back out. Have you ever? I think I'm making my point. I'm not there with you. Can you imagine if tonight the Lord revealed to me everyone's little personal sin and I called out your name in front of everyone and I said, Serafina, I'm hoping there's not a Serafina. Serafina. I know what you're doing. You are not in front of everyone. Can you imagine? The truth is I'm not there. I don't know what you do in your little sin life. Now, if you need a tangible reminder, go ahead, take your phones out and take a picture of this face. And when you go to do your little sin, pull up my face. (laughs) That's ridiculous. What would this do to stop you? Especially when you're all hormonal. Especially when you got adrenaline running through you. You could care less about. But when the spirit goes, don't do it. Something happens inside of us. Because we've been given the law of the Spirit. God speaks directly to our minds and empowers us to live a spiritual life. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to prove it to you. Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. Romans chapter 8, we'll pick it up there in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let the church say, Amen. How many of you sinned before? I just want to raise, just go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you sinned before? All right, thank you. Um, I, there was a couple hands that didn't go up, and I, I am a little concerned, but God bless you. You may, maybe you got some arthritis, I'm not sure, but I'm asking, how many of you have sinned before? Oh, go ahead, injuries, I get you. Okay, God bless you. How many of you, how many of you sin today? Like, how many of you sin today? Okay, I understand if a few don't raise your hands. I get that. Okay, you may have had a great day, okay? Tomorrow is coming, I'm letting you know. Can you imagine if when you sin tomorrow, you get a little touch of lightning on your backside? And God's just letting you know, oh, oh sorry, God, didn't mean to do that. <laughs> you have a bad thought. Woo! You know, just imagine that for just a moment. And every time you did something, you got a little reminder of condemnation. Now I'm going to read this again. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let the church say, Amen. who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So in other words, according to the law of the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in other words, it didn't have the power. It was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh on the cross that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, when you get saved, you've been given the spirit of God and by the spirit of God, you can live the spiritual life. For those who live according to the flesh... So those who don't have God, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they're always thinking of spiritual things. They're not thinking. I get this question all the time from teenagers. Now, Pastor Chet, how far is too far? I always ask, how far have you gone? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how can I honor God in this relationship? I'm not trying to get away with something or be living on the edge. I want to be so far away from the fence that God knows I'm for you. I'm nowhere near the border zone. Let's stick to this. Go back. He says, uh, where was I? Um, six, thank you. For to be carnally minded is death. In other words, if you are thinking about nothing but flesh, you're not saved. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Who wants the death route? Who wants life and peace? Let me ask you a question. Of those of you that raised your hands and sinned, 
How many of you are like, I'm really proud of it. (laughs) I am so grateful that I screamed at my children. (laughs) It made me feel great. How many of you, those of you who sinned, like you are like, whoo, you'll never believe what I did today. (laughs) I'm going to come in and tell the whole church. None of us. We all regret it. None of us want to live in death. We want to live in life and peace. So he says, verse uh, 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, thank you, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh can't please God. Do you have a potty mouth? Do you know what I love about Christians? We've come up with Christian terms. We say, shoot. We say, darn. Bless your little heart. I told you before, if you go to the South and someone says, bless your heart, they're calling you dumb. Bless your little heart. You are so dumb. It's just a polite way to do it. We've come up with all kinds of Christian ways to be like the world. How far is too far? How far is too far? But you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you got the power of the resurrection in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. People will come to me all the time and say, I'm struggling with this. You know what I say? You're not struggling. You've made a clear choice. There's no struggle. You've made a very clear choice that you don't want to do what God's calling you to do. That's not a struggle. That is clarity. And then he says, you've got the power of the resurrection in you. Do you know what that means? You can quit your potty mouth. Do you know what that means? It means you can stop looking at porn. Do you know what that means? You don't have to sleep with your girlfriend. Do you know what that means? You can be free of addiction. Do you know what that means? It means whatever you're struggling with, our faith is the victory. The question is, are you in the spirit? We have the law of the spirit. Go back with me to Romans chapter 8. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 8. Let's see the second thing we have. Hebrews chapter 8, and we know we're in the law of the spirit, but look at the second one. Romans, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 8, 
Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. We live by the law of the Spirit. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Number two, we get to have an intimate relationship with God. None of them, verse 11, shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. He's speaking about the spiritual house of Israel, those that have received Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is we can know God. We can be in relationship, intimate relationship with the living God. That's what he's trying to get across. God is saying, I'm giving myself as the chief blessing to every believer. We can have an intimate relationship. We can be best friends with God. Now, I want you to think about what that offers. If God be for me, who can be against me? I want you to think what that offers. I'm best friends with God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have access to the power, and when the bully devil tries to bully me in this world, I call on the name of God, and I remind him, God's my friend, back off. Back off. And in 1 John chapter 3, one of the greatest privileges we have of being in an intimate relationship with God. Behold, can you believe it? He says, putting in chat language. What manner of love the Father's bestowed on us that we, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to people who were sinning. He says, those of you who say you have no sin, you're liars. That's what he said to him in 1 John 1. Now in 1 John chapter 3, he says, we sinners saved by grace, we get to be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. It didn't know him. Beloved, now we're children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, look at this benefit, that when he's revealed, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I'm going to be like Jesus. And you know the first thing that I'm going to do? I'm going to walk right through that wall. I cannot wait. (laughs) I'm going to do a little beam me up to heaven, Scotty. I'm telling you, I can't wait. One day I'm going to be in Fiji. The next day I'm going to be, in the next moment I'm going to be in New Zealand. I'm going to be in my resurrected body and I'm going to be like Jesus. Do you realize what your relationship with God affords you? You are best friends with God. Well, let me tell you what affords you. He's your best friend, but the Bible says we are his people. Now there's a responsibility attached to this. And the entire New Testament describes what his people should look like. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he says we're citizens of heaven. 
Turn back with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Turn back with me to Romans. I want you to see something in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Take a look at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul has spent chapters 1 through 11 telling us what we get because of Jesus Christ. We're in a relationship with God. We are his people. And because we're his people and he gave his life for us, chapters 1 through 11, now in chapter 12, because he gave his life for us, you give your life to him. We're his people. That's the responsibility. That's the requirement. All of my children, when they were younger, they wanted their freedom. Do you know what I told them? Go. I got nine. I could lose one. God bless you. (laughs) So I told them, go. You are welcome to go. And here's what's going to cost you your freedom. You pay your car insurance. You pay your rent. You buy your food. You pay your school fees. You go. You will save me a lot of money. God bless you. Guess what? I don't want to go. (laughs) We've been given freedom, but freedom has responsibility. And the responsibility, because we want to, is give Christ our life. And here's what that looks like. And I believe the entire New Testament is summed up in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. I call this the Christian creed. Let love be without hypocrisy. If you're going to love, just love. I had a couple in my office. She told me, well, when I go home, I want to let my hair down. So that means you get to be mean? And he said, deacon at the church, well, she better start being obedient to me. You know what I said to him? If you start loving her, she might want to respect you. But if I was her, I wouldn't want to respect you either the way you're treating her. And then he goes, well, the Bible says she should win me over with her good moral chaste conduct. I can be however I want. This was a winner marital experience. And it's amazing to me how we can be one thing at church and we go home and we're a completely different thing. So you know what I said? You guys don't have a marital problem. You have a spiritual problem. You're both hypocrites. What do you mean I'm a hypocrite? Well, because you're one thing at church. Praise be to God. And then you go home and yell at your wife. That's called hypocrisy. You don't have a marital problem. You have a spiritual problem. They stormed out of my office. Showed up to church the next week. 
we didn't like you when we left. But then we realized you were right. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. I know your favorite comedian is really funny. But when he says things that are ungodly and you laugh and enjoy it, when the Bible says you should abhor it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.